I appreciate that. We're not ready to hit the road with that song yet, but you did good, so, so, so thank you. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4 tonight. Genesis chapter 4. Before this afternoon's class, I was just thinking back to our study and uh, just thinking about um, Cain and his emotional state that caused him to kill his brother Abel. And just before we get into it, I kind of want to get you thinking, kind of, kind of uh, prime the pump a little bit. It's, uh, I've been around some people that were very short-fused. The least little thing, and kaboom, they took off and just angry. They'd, they'd, uh, they'd holler at you, or they'd take off and slam the door and get in their car and scream away. That, that immediate response of anger welling up. Now, Cain may have had some of that. But how do you explain Cain having his confrontation, which really, really what it was, with God, where he brought his offering and God rejected that offering. God said, I've got a substitute for you, but he rejected the substitute. So God was displeased in Cain. You go from that to sometime later, Cain inviting him, his brother, out into a field which makes it sound like what he was about to do was premeditated. So there was some kind of a delay between his confrontation with God and the time where he actually killed his brother. So I say all that to say I don't see this anger in him the same as I do if somebody just gets really short-fused and kaboom, takes off in anger. If that were the case, then I think he would have done it right then. But he didn't. There was time for him to think about it. Let it stew in that. So what I see in Cain is this, 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 this under the surface boiling. It just didn't go away. It just didn't go away. And then it erupted when he was confronting Abel there in that open field. Now what I struggle with is Cain had never seen the murder of another person, never heard of it, because that never happened. Before that murder, there had never been in existence a murder of a human being. Now, animals had been killed. God killed the first animal. So animals at that time had been killed for clothing, apparently. And so perhaps, perhaps Cain had seen an animal killed, but to consider going to the point of killing your brother, I don't know, I'm struggling with it. Can anything that pops into your brain or any thoughts that could take someone who had never, ever heard of another, of another person being murdered and to go from whatever length of time that was, premeditate it, and then actually kill his brother. Any thoughts come to mind of what was going on in Cain's mind or heart in that time? And how that could be in what was otherwise a perfect environment? Your response is pretty much the same I had. I just have a hard time grasping that. What we talked about this afternoon, because we had more people to, to draw from, was the fact that sin had entered the world. When Adam and Eve fell, even though it was 
before their kids were born, sin is in the world. And so Adam is going to pass on sin nature to his children. So both Cain and Abel were born with a sin nature, so no longer is there a sinless society. There was sin. Now that first sin was not the last sin. And Adam and Eve, do you think that first sin was the last time they sinned? No, my goodness. They were making quite a practice of it, I'm sure. Though the Bible does not record it, I'm sure because of their fallen, at that point, fallen nature, there's something had been different. Something was different about them. And what was different was their spirit had died. So until they actually got saved, until they repented and came to God, which we don't know at what, what point that is, their sin nature was there. And very possible, their children were infected by that before they got saved. Did you comment? Or he did. We don't know. I tend to think he did. We don't know, but I tend to think he did based upon what the New Testament says of him. So the record, the record in New Testament seems to indicate that he did know exactly what he was doing in that, but he wanted to do it his way. Kind of like us. Yeah, it was. The pro it was a process. It didn't happen like that. It was a process. And Okay, all right. Well, thank you. Just want to get you thinking and uh, before you nod off to sleep. So let me read a verse for you. We'll pray, and then we will get into this lesson. Chapter 4, we're in verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. I've got some questions I've got to ask you here, just from this verse here, because I want you thinking about it, and I don't have all the answers, but we're going to talk about it. Dear Lord, we need your help tonight. I thank you, Lord, for these passages in this begin book of beginnings in Genesis. And Lord, we need your help. So, Spirit of God, would you lead us? Lord, I pray that you might help us to come to truthful conclusions, and I pray, Lord, that throughout it all, you will be glorified. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. For God, said she, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Well, we're going to get to that. If you're taking notes, first of all, letter B is Seth was born. Seth, F-E-T-H, S-E-T-H was born. And number one, a renewed faith in God's promise. And we see this in verse 25, a renewed faith by her saying, for God hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel. In Genesis 3.15, in the very first time that the plan of redemption is revealed, um, God told 
Eve that through her seed was going to come a deliverance or the serpent's head would be bruised. And so he would be killed. And she was convinced that this Redeemer this would come, this, this Savior that would come, was going to be her firstborn. We think that as she's holding Cain, when he was first delivered, that she thought she was holding the Messiah. That she thought he was the fulfillment of what God had told them was going to happen. Well, that fulfillment died. And I think she lost her confidence. She lost her hope because she thought that was her, her confidence from the Lord. He died. So here we see in verse 25, For God said, She hath appointed me another seed, a replacement seed, if you will. Now she's holding the replacement. And this is going to get kind of funny. Uh, letter A, more children born. Some things we don't think about. Some time apparently lapses between Abel's death and the birth of Seth. Why? In Genesis 5.3, it says that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. 130 years when Seth was born. It does not tell us how old he was when Cain and Abel were born. But if it had been very many years, then Adam and Eve would have been in disobedience to God's command. What command? Be fruitful, right? One of the first things he told them was to be fruitful and multiply. So if they waited 100 years, they would have been 100 years in disobedience. I don't think they did. I think they were uh, soon to respond to that, and I think Cain and Abel were born shortly thereafter. Now, it doesn't say this, so we're conjecturing. So let's just say that they were born soon after that. Well, it says he's 130 years old now when Seth is born. There's a long time. Let's just say that Adam has lived for 30 years before he has his first kids. Now, 100 years later, <laughs> you talk about a disfit family. <laughs> the, the brothers are 100 years old. Well, the brothers are 100 years old. It's incredible. Anyway, um, during that time, I think, that children were being born. I think Adam and Eve were still having kids. Just because, in fact, I was going to ask you, how many kids did Adam and Eve have? And I, too late now for it, because I kind of gave it away, but some people would say they had three. Well, but Adam lived a lot of years. You think he just had three kids? Although that's all the Bible talks about, I think there are many other kids, in fact, it will mention here in a minute, many other kids that they did have and I think probably they had them during those 130 years there. Uh, letter B is trusting God for His promise. Trusting God for His promise. By the way, flipping back to letter A, what about those kids? Um, if he was 130 years old when he had Seth, and if he did have a lot of children, sons and daughters during that time, what about them? Why aren't they mentioned in a righteous line? Well, the supposition by several commentators is they followed the way of Cain, which is interesting. Um, letter B, trusting God for His promise. By now, Adam and Eve's relationship with the Lord had matured. This is, this is interesting. 130 years now, Adam has lived. From his 
moment of creation to the time Seth is born, 130 years. Now, for us, 130 years is quite a lifetime. You know, we don't, I don't know too many 130-year-olds. So that's, that's really a, a long time. What kind of a relationship could be developed in 130 years? My wife and I have been married for 40, going to be 46 years, and uh, we've had a wonderful life together. But 46 years, not 130 years. So he's lived a lot longer than we've been married. His point is, we've developed an amazing relationship over those years. I know her very well. She knows me very well. Adam now knows God in a completely different way than he knew him initially. That, that relationship has matured. It's, 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 it's evolved into where now he, is, he knows God in a completely different way than he did in the garden. And number two, a renewed interest in God. A renewed interest in God. Verse 26, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Interesting phrase. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. When? After Enos was born. So 130 years old is Adam when he has Seth. Now Seth has to get old enough to get married and have a child. So let's say that's another 15 to 20 years, and he has a child. Okay. After that, it says, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. You mean they were not calling upon the Lord's name before that? Well, first of all, letter A, Enos was a real man. He was a real man. So how do I know that? Seth had a son named Enos, and Enos means man or mortal. Man or mortal. So obviously his name is man. Letter B, calling upon the name of the Lord. Through the ages, two schools of thought differ as to the interpretation of men calling upon the name of the Lord at this time. Here's view number one. View number one. So number one there. Seth led in the worship of Jehovah. So here's this first view. The family of Seth and his children led an example of calling upon Jehovah's name in prayer and worship. Through Seth would come the line of the promised Messiah. The second view, Jehovah's name used in vain. Jehovah's name in vain. The second view, one held by many Jews, is that man became so ungodly, they actually began using Jehovah's name in perverse ways, often applying it to their idols. So that view takes this phrase, calling upon the name of the Lord, in vain, is their interpretation. Number three, combined views. It is possible that both views are true, describing the contradictory lifestyles of Seth's line versus Cain's line. So it's possible both are true. So Cain's line, very godless, very turned out to be wicked, and do everything they possibly can to keep God out of their lives. Seth's line, 
adversely, is a godly line through which the Messiah is going to come. And we're going to see the, some of the people in his lineage are very godly people, very encouraging. Which leads us to number 16, a godly race is begun. A godly race is begun. Now remember, there's not three lines going out, Cain and Abel and Seth. Why? Because Abel had no kids. As far as we know, he had no children. So there's just two lines going out from what's being talked about here, Cain's lineage and Seth's lineage. Letter A, a recount of Adam's genealogy. And again, none of the rest of the, ch the children, the brothers and sisters, are being talked about. The Bible talks about those two lines. It focuses in on those two lines. Number one, man was made in God's likeness. A recount of Adam's genealogy, man was made in God's likeness. Verse 1, chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God, made he him. So Adam was created in whose likeness? God's. Right. That's important to remember. Adam was created in God's likeness. So if you want to know what God looked like, you look at Adam. Well, since you don't know what God looks like, and since Adam didn't know what God looks like, since nobody's ever known what God's looked like, what's it mean he's made in his likeness? Any ideas? Okay. Meaning what? You're right, but meaning what? Yes. For instance, uh, man is a three-part being. Body, soul, spirit. God's a triune God. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of likenesses between God and man that we see spiritually. And even in the physical realm, even though God is not a physical creature, he's a spirit. So man was made in God's likeness. Uh, another case in point is man loves himself. <laughs> man has got this enormous ego. I mean, you tell a guy he's doing a good job, and you watch. His head is going to start swelling up. <laughs> See, isn't that right? Yeah, men are made like that. Men are made with these giant egos after God's likeness because God loves to be glorified. He wants all the glory for himself. He loves it when we tell him how great he is. And God made us like that. He made us to respond to praise after his likeness. Um, God created men in his likeness. Man soon sinned, corrupting that likeness. God provided a plan of redemption for man in which Adam and Eve found forgiveness. In so doing, God enabled them to be included in this godly line that would eventually lead to Christ. Number two, Adam became Eve's authority under God. Verse two, male and female created he them. Now this is, this is profound, it's super simple, but you notice there's an M and an F here. A male and a female. There's two letters, not that two or three dozen letters we talked about today. 
it's, it's M and F, male and female. That's what he created, a man and a woman. Eve was taken out of man. She, oh, I didn't finish the verse here. Male and female created he them and blessed them and called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Eve was taken out of man. She was formed from a rib from Adam's side. She was deceived and transgressed by eating the forbidden fruit. God's curse on the woman, let's see, remember, there's two parts. What was God's curse on the woman? Do you remember? Painful birth. Yeah. What was also painful? What was the second part? It was, she was placed underneath her husband. Is that what you said? Yeah. Kind of? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Adam became Eve's authority under God. They would both be seen together. This is interesting. Did you notice this? He called their name Adam. Did you notice that? They called their name. God called their Adam and Eve. Adam. Isn't it interesting that humanity is called mankind? Now, I'm sure that out there today, they don't use that term anymore. But if you check the dictionary, humanity is called mankind. Or can I say Adam kind? The word Adam or Adama means man. Mankind. As God saw his creation of husband and wife, he saw them as one. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Underneath the man. Um, Ephesians 5.31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Why would the Bible have to tell man to leave his father and mother? Any ideas? Okay. 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 Let me give you a, a worse one. A lot of guys don't like to leave home. They don't like to leave mama. And when they do leave mama, they still elevate mama over the wife for the first number of years. They like mama's cooking better. And they told the wife that once. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? A lot of guys don't grow up until they're about 50 years old. And some guys don't do it then because they're still under mama and dad. Now, I don't mean necessarily they live in there, although today a lot of them do. I said we're to leave them and we're to be joined together. Number three, Seth was made in Adam's likeness. I emphasized this before. God, or, uh, Adam was made in whose likeness? God's. Here it says, Seth was made in Adam's likeness. Interesting. And Adam, in verse 3, And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son in his own likeness, after his image, and called his name Seth. Letter A, Seth likely had many brothers and sisters. It's likely that before Seth was born, Adam and Eve had numbers of other children. Nothing is said of those children. However, because of their spiritual emphasis placed on Seth. It is possible that the others followed in the way of Cain. 
Adam and Eve were new to dealing with children. They'd never had kids before this. So they're, they're new to dealing with children and knowing how to discipline them. They were seeing the evidence of different methods of discipline being used in the growing families of their children. They saw some methods that were effective and some disastrous. And I, I just, that was just a, my mind going crazy because I was thinking about this. Adam and Eve had no real instruction on child rearing. So now they've got these two boys, what do we do with them? They, they had no parents to go to. They had no grandma to go to. They had no community. There was no community. They were the community. And so everything they did and were doing in child rearing was a first. So what happens? They had children, and their children had children. And eventually, their children's children had children. And so what do Adam and Eve get to do? They get to watch their kids deal with their kids. And these 10 kids of Adam and Eve over here, their families are turning out some really disciplined kids. But these 20 or 30 kids over here of Adam and Eve's kids, my land, they are just awful. What's the difference? They can see it. And so now they're gaining this information, this wisdom. And so those wise children or grandchildren can now come to Adam and Eve and say, help us out with our kids. They could give them instruction and they can tell them what they had seen with their own eyes, what works, what doesn't work. Now it is true, I believe that God instructed Adam, gave him a great deal of information, and I believe God could have been there had Adam gone to him for counsel, even after the fall. He could have received counsel from God in child rearing. We don't know how much, if any, he did. Uh, letter B, Seth was born the likeness of his father, Adam. As Adam was made in God's likeness, so Seth was in Adam's. Seth would have carried the genetic code of his parents, bearing their likeness in that manner. He also perhaps looked more like Adam than the rest. Physical looks, his, his mannerisms, Undoubtedly, he was more of a mirror of his dad. You take a family, and perhaps that family's got five sons. Well, very likely that one of those sons is going to mirror the dad. He's going to look like, he's going to talk like, he's going to have the same mannerisms as dad. I think that's the idea here behind Seth. He mirrored his dad. Letter C. Seth was a substitute. How do you know that? Because Seth's name literally means substitute. Okay, so, so Mama Eve is holding a brand new son. What shall I call him? I know, I'm going to call him substitute. That's what his name means. Why? Why would she call him substitute, based on what we're talking about tonight? Why would she call Seth substitute? He's in place of Abel. Actually, in place of Cain. Cain was going to be there, and Cain blew it. He was the firstborn. He blew it. So he's a replacement there. So um, uh, it could be that after Cain's disappointment, his parents saw in him the potential for God's promise to be fulfilled. He certainly couldn't be fulfilled through a murderer. 
they may have dedicated him to the Lord and give him training to grow in godliness and prepare him for God's service. So he was, in her eyes, a substitute, what it looks like. Number four, Adam's fruitful longevity. Verse four, and the days of Adam after he had begotten Seth were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. 930 is how many years from 1,000? What is it? 70. All right. 70 years short of living 1,000 years. Whew. That's pretty, pretty significant. What is the one credit that God gives to Adam here? Did you catch it? What is the one credit that God says of Adam? He had children. And in what way is that a credit? He obeyed. God said, be fruitful. So he had sons and daughters. So I think God is simply saying, this is important. I told you to do it. You did it. Um, it's a little sad to me that that's all God could find to say of Adam. But he did say he obeyed me in that respect. Uh, letter B, the godly seed continued to be passed on. Number one, Seth begat Enos, E-N-O-S, verse 6. And Seth lived 105 years and begat Enos. And Seth lived after he begat Enos 807 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. We're talking about some long years of life here. Long years. Number two, Enos begat Canaan, just like Cain with an A-N on the end. Verse 9, Enos lived 90 years and begat Canaan. Enos lived after he begat Canaan 815 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enos were 905 years, and he died. It's hard for us to comprehend this because when somebody gets up to be 85, 90, 95, or 100, life is challenging for them. You know, for most 100-year-olds, they're not real spry. And most of them don't have the mental acuity they used to. Their eyes don't work well. They've got false teeth. Now, there are some, there are some ex uh, exceptions to that rule. We all know that. But the average is most folks don't live to 100 because we get real achy and pain and angry and ornery. But what if you didn't? What if 100 comes and you feel like a 15-year-old? Can you imagine that? 200 rolls around, and you have now progressed to 25. At 200 years old. At 300, you feel just as strong as you were a kid at 100. Five, six hundred years, seven hundred years, you still have two hundred years to live. Which means their bodies were still very strong and virile, and their minds were acute, and, and they were and their eyesight was really good. They weren't going downhill like we do today for so many reasons. Now, number three, Canaan begat Mahalaleel, 
And Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalaleel. And Canaan lived after he begot Mahalaleel 840 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. With each of these, it says, and they had sons and daughters. I think it's because God is emphasizing the importance. God said, do this. You are going to populate the earth. If you don't populate the earth, there's not going to be people. And the whole purpose behind creation was people, Bob. It is, and so we can say they did not have kids until that, or we can say something that mentioned this afternoon, the child of promise is what's being specified here. In other words, the one that's going to be in the line of Christ. So there could be 50 kids, and there could have been 25 kids before this one was born, but the child that God had picked out, the one that godly seed is going to go through, is the one talked about here, is possible. It's possible. Number four, Mahalaleel begat Jared. And Mahalaleel lived 60 and five years and begat Jared. And Mahalaleel lived after he begat Jared 800 year, or 830 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Mahalaleel were 895 years and he died. Number five, Jared begat Enoch. Now we're getting to a name that might ring a bell, Enoch. Now you might remember that we talked about Enoch previously. But the Enoch we talked about previously was in Cain's line. He was not godly Enoch. He was in Cain's line and only mentioned one time. Jared begat Enoch. Verse 18 through 20. And Jared lived in 160 and two years, and he begat Enoch. And Jared lived after he begat Enoch 800 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Jared were 960 and two years, and he died. So Jared is the father of Enoch. Number six, Enoch begat Methuselah. Now, what do you know about Methuselah? Longest living man. That's right. That's exactly right. Verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God. After he begat Methuselah, 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God. Second time I mentioned that. And he was not, for God took him. So God mentioned it twice. We need to figure out why. Letter A, Enoch walked with God. What's that mean? What? I'm sorry? Faithful. Obedient. Right? What else? When we say so-and-so walks with God, what else can we say about them? A relationship. Yeah. Like I, I see the garden in my mind. I see Adam and Eve, in, or Adam walking with God in the garden. There is that walking concept. So for me to walk with God, there has to be a relationship emphasized. Not just obedience, but a relationship that, that, the, that the obedience springs out of. He walked with God. So what's he do? He gets up in the morning and he spends time with God. So the day progresses and during the day he falls to a time where he spends some time with God. He recognizes God. Before the day ends, he's talking to God once again. So he is walking with that ever presence of the Lord. Walked with God. Enoch walked with God. 
And apparently, one of two things, apparently this was unique at the time, and so either nobody else was doing it, or the amount or the quality of his walking was so much greater that God specified it and, and zeroed in on it and identified it. Nothing is said about any relationship with God since chapter 4 and verse 26, where after Seth's sons Enos was born, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. In verse 26, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. So Enoch walked with God, letter B. Enoch also escaped death. So Enoch walked with God, and he was not. Why? For God took him. So number one, Enoch's godliness was rewarded with special service. Enoch was not, for God took him. His closeness with God afforded him a special service to the Lord, what it looks like. It looks like because he walked with the Lord, God had something very special for him. <laughs> it's just a kid. Yeah. yeah, he was a teenager. We don't know for sure. We're going to talk about it. I'll throw some possibilities at you. Don't know for sure. But number two, no, he didn't. No, it does not say he died. Correct. He was not because God took him. Right. Took him out back. <laughs> that mysterious phrase, number two, leaves us with possibilities. Now we get to play. Now we get to let our minds just go and wonder, what did God do with him? What, what really happened here? Well, number or letter A, this could be a picture of the raptured church. Him being taken away could be a picture of the church. Why? Because he escaped the flood. Not too many years down the road, the flood came. So God took him out so he did not have to die in the flood as one possibility. So he may be a type of the raptured church, which will escape the judgment of the tribulation. Letter B, he also could be one of the two witnesses described in Revelation 11. One of the two witnesses. He may have been spared that he might come back during the tribulation. You see, he apparently did not die then, but the Bible talks very specifically of the two witnesses being killed. They will eventually, though they have supernatural abilities before that time to kill people, they will be killed very publicly and lay on the streets for how many days? Remember? Yes, yeah, three days. They'll lay on the streets. They won't even touch them for three days. Lay it open on the streets before coming back to life. So they, these two witnesses, will definitely die then. So if Enoch, if Enoch uh, was taken by God, what it sounds like, taken and did not die then, if he comes back as one of the witnesses, it's so he will die then. Because it is appointed unto man once to die. Right. So that's a possibility. Number seven. Methuselah begat Lamech. Methuselah begat Lamech. 
verse 25, And Methuselah lived a hundred eighty and seven years and begat Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech seven hundred eighty and two years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah, here we go, were nine hundred sixty and nine years, and he died. So nine hundred sixty-nine. That leaves thirty-one years from a millennium. So he is thirty-one years shy of living a thousand years. A thousand years ago, the date was 1,024. Around the year 1,000, Leif Erikson became the first European to land in the Americas. In 1066, the Normans conquered Britain. In 1095, the Pope called for the Crusades. The lifespan of Methuselah ago. Is that bizarre? We've talked to my mom periodically. She's 90 now, and she's seen a lot. She's seen a lot in her lifetime, a lot of changes. Now, you don't understand this, what life was like before cell phones. It's hard to comprehend life before cell phones. It's hard to comprehend a little beeper there. It's hard, it's hard to comprehend having to go to a payphone because there weren't beepers. And you'd go to this, this, little, this, this payphone, and, and you try to find one. It's hard to comprehend where you'd go to somebody's house and you'd pick up this receiver here, put it at your ear, and you'd crank it like this. Yeah. And then you'd have to say, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were on the line because of the party line. And that's all contemporary in the last hundred years or so. You go back a thousand years. It's incredible. And that's the lifespan for all of the changes that Methuselah would have seen over the years. Hard to comprehend. So, letter A, that, or longevity, was his claim to fame. Letter A, longevity. Letter B, Methuselah just missed the flood. Now this is interesting, and, and we're only conjecturing on this. We don't know for sure, but it seems like when you add up all the years of the patriarchs, it seems like it puts Methuselah's death the same year as the flood, which means his death could have been as a result of the flood, if it were not for something we're going to talk about here. So number one is apparently this, he died the same year as the flood. Number two, but he must have died prior to the flood. And again, supposition, but why would I think that Methuselah died prior to the flood? Okay. Okay, all right. So we believe that Methuselah was a righteous man. And God wasn't destroying righteous men because all the righteous people were in the boat. Total of eight in the entire world despicable time. And so Methuselah was not there, so we think that his death preceded the flood because of that. Letter A, Enoch was godly. And again, we're making some suppositions. The Bible does not say this, but it does say enough for us to put two and two together. Methuselah was raised by Enoch in a very godly environment because Enoch walked with God. So we know that Enoch was a very godly man, and Methuselah was raised in that environment, in that home. Letter B, Noah, we believe, was godly. Methuselah's grandson was Noah, another godly man. So you have, Methuselah, you have Enoch, 
godly man, walk with God. His son, Methuselah, Methuselah's son, Noah. See, they're all tight together there. It's likely, it's likely that Methuselah had a significant influence on Noah's life, even possibly helping him build the ark. So here is this 800-year-old man out there building the ark. You know what's possible? It's possible he was swinging a hammer at 800 years old. And let her see, God spared all the righteous in the ark. Had Methuselah been ungodly, it would have been fit for him to perish. However, based on the evidence, Methuselah was a righteous man. Number eight, Lamech begat Noah. Verse 28, and Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Which we're going to talk about because that's a stumper. Uh, verse 30, and Lamech lived after he begat Noah 590 and five years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Lamech were 770 and seven years and he died. First of all, Noah's name, letter A. Noah's name means rest. It means rest. And number one, I say it is an ironic name. So Noah's name means rest. But why would I say that rest is ironic for Noah to be called? That's right. Because... <laughs> All we can think of is Noah out there working day after day after day after day and preaching righteousness the whole time. So, but God said, okay, your name's going to be Rest. Number two, it's also a name of hope. It seems tied to Lamech's prophecy concerning Noah. I'm going to read it again. The prophecy is found in chapter 5 and verse 29. He called his name Noah, saying, This same, or Noah, shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. He's going to comfort us because of or from the ground the Lord cursed. He said that Noah would be a comfort to them in some way, apparently tied to the ground the Lord had cursed. It may have been a look to his providing an escape from the wickedness of the world. He's going to comfort us. He's going to remove us from the wickedness of the world. There's going to be a rest from the world's wickedness is one way to look at it. But it's funny, it talks about the curse of the ground. And I don't know this for a fact, but it makes me wonder, is it possible that after the flood, the effect of the curse was altered? Is it possible that before the flood, the curse had a greater um, hurt to the earth? But after the flood, it was not as significant. So if that's the case, then we could say that Noah brought a comfort in that the curse on the ground is not as significant. Now, I know I'm reading way into that, and I don't know the answer. I don't know, but that's, a, that's certainly a possibility. Um, letter B, lastly, Lamech must have been godly. Again, a supposition, but Lamech was the son of a godly man, Methuselah, who was the son of a godly man, Enoch. 
Lamech's son was also godly. Therefore, it's likely, though not for sure, that Lamech was similarly godly. So you have, you've got uh, Methuselah, or you've got Enoch and Methuselah, and uh, then you have Noah and Lamech, or Lamech and Noah. Anyway, the, uh, all three of the four are talked of as being godly. Three of the four are talked about being godly, so we can suppose the fourth is godly as well. That's a supposition because we all know from the kings of the Old Testament, just because one of the kings was godly doesn't mean that his son's going to be. Think of Josiah. Josiah was an eight-year-old boy when he took over and became incredibly godly, and a great revival took, a, took uh, underway under his reign, but his sons were wicked. They were horrible. And so it's not a guarantee, but I say Lamech must have been godly. We're talking about the godly line of Seth through which the Messiah will eventually come. And so God is focusing on that line as opposed now to Saint Cain's sinful, wicked line. All right. That's it. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love and for your guidance in this study. And Lord, there are so many things that we don't know. Um, and I know you've done that on purpose. You've left us with questions. You've left us wanting to know more. And so, Lord, for eternity, we're going to get the privilege of coming to you and being taught. And so I pray now on this side of eternity that we will mine out the treasures that are here and that we will base our life and our decisions in life on those decisions. And, uh, Lord, may you be glorified in it. Thank you for it. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.